0: In this episode of studying sacred scripture, we learn about not minimizing our sins. The two traditions that we read are from the Book of Watchfulness, from the great compilation of the sayings of our beloved Prophet Muhammad by Imam Nawabi rahmatullah We also learn that the companions of our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, had great knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anyone who comes to know Allah will be aware of any limits that Allah has put for us so let us not minimize our sins and let us remember that Allah is ever watching over us a'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim rahman rahmanir rahim alhamdulillahir rabbil alamin as-salatu was-salamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin sayyidina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa ba'd Once again, I welcome you all to our weekly reading of sacred scripture. It's a kind of traditional uh, study circle. We understand uh, since the time of Sayyidina uh, Muhammad of our beloved Prophet there were always people who were keen, eager to learn the sacred knowledge. And learning the Qur'an and the Hadith, of course, these are the two most important branches of uh, our tradition. We know that in every major masjid, mosque, there were ulama, scholars, uh, to begin with the sahab and then tabi'een and then tabi-tabi'een. And this particular sunnah or pattern carried on just since the beginning of Islam. You can say until this day... They are people who are reading the Quran and studying the Holy Quran in masajid. Likewise, they are reading sayings of our beloved Prophet, الله, of our beloved Prophet وسلم, and explaining or studying his sayings. Tonight, I would like to share with you uh, two uh, traditions. Each one of them is quite short. Uh, somewhat, they talk about uh, two dif- different topics. But there is a thread, uh, there is a common theme, of course, in each and every hadith, which is found in this chapter on watchfulness, Bab al Muraqabah, from Riyad al Salihin by the great Imam Imam an Nawa'irahmatullah alayh. So, as I always do, I I insist reading these hadith in Arabic language because I genuinely want you to taste, to feel, what classical Arabic language sounds like, and we can just imagine. You can be, like, mesmerized. Uh, If we had the privilege, the honor, to hear it from the the chosen one, from his uh, blessed mouth, or you can say tongue, it would have sounded amazing, and it would have had a much bigger impact on us, more effect. Even if you don't understand Arabic, when you listen to the recitation of the Qur'an, doesn't that affect you? Of course it does. Believe me, next to it, in degrees, the sayings of our beloved Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They are also very powerful. And many a time, uh, you will actually spot a phrase that our beloved Prophet Sallallahu used, and he was actually rephrasing uh, a Quranic ayah, a verse from the Holy Quran. Like last week we had that hadith, which is basically the meaning of ayah, innal hasanat yudhibna which means uh, we need to repel uh, evil, or let's say bad deeds by, by doing good afterwards. So. That's that's how eloquent the Prophet ﷺ was. So I'll read this hadith in Arabic. We will, of course, look at any term which may be misunderstood or any term which is rare or difficult to understand. I will I will identify that and explain it. But tonight probably we won't have anything really. An anhu innakum la هي ادق في اعينكم من الشعر او من الشعري كنا نعدها على عهد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من, من الموبقات من رواه البخاري وقال الموبقات اي المهلكات so this is a short hadith anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu said he told the people you see like He was one of those people who used to uh, teach others about what the Prophet used to do and say and how they lived their lives around him. So Anna says to people around him, let's say, uh, Tabi'een or Tabi Tabi'een, you indulge in bad actions, you indulge yourselves in committing sins or bad actions which are bad, which are more insignificant to you than a hair, like something light, basically. It's something very light. While, on the other hand, we considered them, at the time of the Prophet, ﷺ, to be among the gra- gravest of sins. Yeah, The great, you can say, major sins. So, Bukhari uh, recorded this hadith in his book, which means it's a sound hadith. This uh, hadith is sahih. What does this hadith actually mean? In terms of the language, uh, there is really nothing very difficult. Al-Mubiqat, uh, Imam nawawi even wrote here, it's al-Muhlikat. Uh, it's actually in the hadith, uh, the Prophet ﷺ used both of these terms to indicate major sins. Uh, and we know those are hadith, which uh, the Prophet ﷺ, ﷺ, explained very nicely, and he listed several deeds, you can say actions, that he classified as uh, al-mubiqat or al-muhlikat, which means uh, literally like the sins that will basically get the better of you, they will cause you some kind of destruction. That's why they are, they are called al-mubiqat or al-muhlikat, uh, because uh, not everybody will be able to uh, go through it and come out as a winner and, 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 and be able to say, well, that didn't really have any effect on me. The consequences of that particular major sin were nothing. Well, it doesn't work like that. Every major sin is a heavy burden on us, on our soul. Uh, and in that sense, they actually sometimes call it the sins that destroy us. Yeah, They destroy our spirituality or bring about negative energy. Or you can say, uh, maybe confine the ruh, the spirit, and, and let our ego go loose, something like that. So uh, the term is, uh, uh, is very important, of course. Uh, uh, you can say, fortunately, there are not that many sins that the Prophet ﷺ, classified or listed as al-mubiqat, uh, you know, like cardinal sins, we can call them in English. But there are some scholars basically who have compiled books, I am telling you, really big books, and they're listing them in hundreds, because uh, you can basically make some kind of analogical reasoning, oh, if uh, being disrespectful to your parents is counted as one of the most cardinal sins, they can actually then make analogy to your uncle, auntie, and many others, and they basically give, they produce a really long list. So anyhow, the main point I would say here is that the term in itself implies some sort of destruction or heavy consequence of committing such a sin. That's what I want you to remember. Uh, this is one issue with the language of this hadith. And the second one is not difficult, but maybe you want to know about it. Uh, so in Arabic language, uh, you can say, uh, it, this is the beauty of actually Arabic language in this hadith. But... Uh, also rich, richness of this language. You can say yeah, and it means hair. Okay, So you can say uh, or you can say uh, it's allowed both of these and it actually means the same thing. So what I understood, uh, this is like a kind of uh, a parable that they use like you classified certain uh, sins that you commit as light. As you, our, you know one hair, there's no way to it, more or less. And I'm sure in many languages, they do use this kind of parable. It's, it's a figurative speech, so if you want to say something is like insignificant, as light as hair, okay? So, uh, you can see that in Arabic language, they use that. Fi ayunikum. Yeah, so they say I mean even the term Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu used is very interesting like daqiq means very precise the particular uh, like flower yeah. uh, so it's like minuted, very very detailed uh, so he's basically using this uh, figure of speech and saying you basically see it as uh, insignificant whereas we used to see that as something huge major. Apart from these two terms, I can't see anything else difficult in the language, Uh, but there is one or two benefits we can actually learn from this hadith. First, I think it's quite obvious for all of us, we should have concluded from this hadith that we Muslims, believers in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, male and female, young and old, uh, of any background really. We should never belittle any sin that we commit. In fact, uh, I was just reading uh, today from Surah Al-Hajj uh, So anyone basically who uh, puts significance, like magnifies in a way like he sees it as something important, something really important. Uh, anything which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has portrayed as a limit you should actually take it very seriously. That's what it means. You should give significance to it, signify it, rather than glorify it and magnify it. I wouldn't say that. Signify it means treat it as very important. And if it was from things that are prohibited, al-muharramat, well, it's very important because our ulama say for our spiritual growth, uh, it is more important that we stay away from prohibited uh, things, sinful acts and deeds, then committing extra, you know, like carrying uh, out more righteous deeds or uh, doing uh, extra nawafil. Yeah, optional deeds. So, you will need to make so many sunan and nafer, nawafil uh, to reach, to attain to some uh, spiritual height, and all of that could be destroyed, literally speaking, by committing one sin. So, the point really is that you don't look at the actual act and try to analyze it and then measure it in your own kind of reasoning and say, this is big, this is bigger, this is slightly bigger, this is smaller sin, this is a tiny sin, this one is like a little fly, a mosquito, this is like lighter than a hair. Yeah, we, want, we might like to do something like that, to indulge ourselves in passing a judgment, because every time we conclude something, we judge over something, we feel like, oh... We are so clever, we are so smart, and we appraise ourselves. When it comes to sins, we don't do that kind of mathematics, and we have a professor of mathematics here from the university. So we don't do that, the, because the danger is that you might think something is insignificant, but actually that was one of the worst things that you could indulge yourself in, because maybe in that particular sin, when we do it once, it's not so... Uh, so harmful in isolation, but maybe that particular sin is so seductive, yeah, like certain drugs, tablets. They are so addictive, you take one, you want more and more and more. And it was something like you can say, oh, this is not important, but it's those types of sins which your nafs absolutely loves to indulge in. And then you start loving it and liking it until you even lose the sense of responsibility or let's say, uh, what they call khashiyatullah in this uh, particular context, or taqwa, piety, becomes so loose that you no longer actually can even feel that you are committing a sin, and there is no reaction within your body or the soul is like put aside, locked up, changed, and the ego is raging free and, 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 and feeling in command, in control. So definitely uh, every sin we commit, we should think of it as something serious, big. And to be honest with you, in Islamic theology, there are so many books that, as I said to you, scholars have written on kebair, but they've also written books on this particular topic. You know, what does it mean, uh, minor and major sin? And they define a major and minor sin, and what are the sin between, and what are the al-mubiqad, the cardinal sins, so to speak. And there are so many amazing definitions, and you can say comments that, different scholars from the time of the Sahaba gave, like uh, one of them said, all of the sins that we commit must be, you know, major, huge, big. When you think of who did you transgress that limit against? That's why I said limits. Always, when there are limits, take it seriously. Likewise, in our religion, if they are symbols of our religion, we also want to give it significance. So signify any limit... That Allah has put down for us, it's for our benefit. To protect us actually from harm first and foremost, but then also to gain us some kind of benefit. And if there is some symbol of our religion, like a masjid, a mosque, and some kind of institution, even like the institution of prayer, uh, fasting, we also need to signify that too. Both of those practices or those patterns signify that you have piety, inshallah. On the other hand, as I said, the first point that we should have all concluded, the person who minimizes their sins, or let's say minimizes the actions they do and think they might not count as sin because they are the greatest of muftis and they think everything is makruh rather than haram, but it could actually be in the gray area and much closer to haram than makruh. or they think it's such a small thing, that indicates to the lack of piety on the, on, for, for those people. Basically, in other words, if you have a problem with this, and you take it lightly when you commit a sin, let's say skip a prayer or whatever these are like, that's another major sin according to scholars, because anything which is fard, especially, obligate, you know, individual obligation, not fulfilling it, they, demand, they, they regard that as a, a grave sin. So if we have a problem and we sometimes think, ah, that's something, you know, the Sahaba said, just give some sadaqah if you fell in that particular sin or that other particular sin and it will be okay, that is not a good sign. We need to pose, compose ourselves, and think again. Where do I stand in terms of watchfulness? Because this hadith is in the book of, of the book of muraqaba. Watchfulness. Allah is seeing you committing that sin. So, did you ever think when you indulged yourself in committing that sin that Allah is observing you right there and then? How, how dare you? How could you still persist and carry on with the sin? That's one element. And the other one is, will you ever, you know, like give some consequences by yourself to yourself? What about your own self-watch? Let's say, self guard we need to do that. And one of the ways really is as the Sahaba taught us, and that is the second point I think we should learn from this Hadith. Whenever they committed a sin, they punished themselves, you know, deservedly or whatever they saw as befitting punishment. So who said it was a Sheikh man last night, you know, that uh, the great grandson of the Prophet in prayer, fire, fire, break your prayer. It's, but what he thinks of is the hellfire. The hell yeah, nar so it's like uh, when, when your level of conscious, yeah, consciousness goes higher, you basically then give very, very much importance to every single thing uh, that you know, Allah subhanahu Wa Ta'ala may be pleased or not pleased with. That's the bottom line. So what does this hadith also teach, teach us? This hadith, in my humble opinion, is an indication. Yeah, It's like, you can also say a proof that the Sahaba, Ridwanullah Ta'ala uh, alayhim all the Sahaba yeah, of the Prophet Allah may Allah be pleased with them all, uh, they had, uh, you can say, like superior knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than any other generation after them. How do we understand that? Because... Uh, What Anas uh, radiallahu ta'ala said here, only a truly pious person will say. So they really and genuinely, he's not pretending, he's not overdoing it, over-exaggerating. The Sahaba genuinely were in fear of Allah, genuine fear of Allah, khashya. In fact, they do use term khashia here more than taqwa. But let's say for us, it does fall under the the notion of piety, becoming God conscious. Uh, so why, how come they were so good, so careful? How come they were very keen uh, and serious about doing their faraid and wajibat? How come they would not commit a sin? They won't, you know, cross the line, transgress uh, a had, a hudud. Yeah. How come? Because the, their taqwa was, the, their iman was strong. Yeah, and their piety was strong, and and that's where it comes from—the knowledge, the gnosis of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So we understand that you can, in a way, say that the Sahaba, you know, they had this unique ma'rifah through the Blessed Prophet Sallallahu They managed to understand Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala better than more or less anyone else because the best of mankind was their direct teacher. So they took everything from the Prophet and he was there, like in a way, murshid. He guided them to Allah, and anyone who is guided by the Prophet he will attain, we say, uh, a lofty, you know, like status, high degree of ma'rifah, uh, knowledge of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, which, in other, in, in other words, translates into a high spiritual state. So, in that sense, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala testified to that, saying, "Radyallahu anhu, waradu And to attain the station of rida, which means that their nafs was at that level, Uh, they had full contentment and pleasure uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whatever was pleasing Allah, that's what they cared about. In other words, if there was something that wouldn't please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will make sure they stay away from it. And that's why I think the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasam he encouraged them and he used to pray. uh, you know he said, Oh Allah grant me that station, yeah, the state where my nafs reaches to that level. Yeah? But this is like proper iman. I genuinely believe in Allah and in the meeting with Him. Kana Allah. Yeah? The Quran mentions whoever hopes means who is certain that they are going to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the next life. Okay. So he says, Give me that kind of nafs that will never doubt that there is a life after death and there is Allah and I'm going to be meeting Allah. I'll stand before Him and He will judge me. This is important. And then what did he say? So this issue of like being pleased with Allah's decree is very important. That's the nafs which is radiyah. Pleased. Whatever Allah decreed for you, you will not uh, be uh, displeased about that. In other words, whatever you have, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala entrusted to you, you will be content with it. Al-Qana'ah. And it goes hand in hand with, we say, strong faith. Iman. So these are two points, just to summarize again. Let us never belittle, minimize any of our wrong actions or wrongdoings. If anything, we should Deem all of that as serious and and, and very important, knowing that we are transgressing those limits against the the almighty Allah, the majestic Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is this other set of Allah's qualities and attributes of might and and and, and uh, majesty and and uh, greatness and strength and all those we need to be aware of that just like we like to hear about Allah's forgiveness and mercy and generosity and uh, whatever else which makes us feel you know better and and, and 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 pleased and gives us some kind of hope we need to strike the balance between the two and inshallah ta'ala that will ensure that our Iman becomes strong and we increase in piety rather than start losing it. And the second point really was that the Sahaba were the masters of that because they were taught at the blessed hands of, of the best of mankind, uh, uh, at our Prophet wasallam, the best of all mankind. He was their master, their direct teacher. But alhamdulillah, as you can see, they tried their very best to pass that legacy on that sacred knowledge. So Anas was not stingy about this. He taught the tabi'een who were around him about it. So I'm sure they took it in. uh, It sinked in and they they tried to behave in that way. And look, more than 1400 years later, we are reading the same hadith and we are reminded of the same uh, quality and the same principle. As I promised you two hadiths, let me read the second one as well. Uh, this maybe will be even just one, ben, one point to deduce from it But it's very short But please uh, bear patiently Because I have to read this one tonight The next one is really long uh, So on Saturday we'll read uh, Hadith 65 But it's a story So it will be easy to understand So Anabi abi Hurayrata this time yeah, In Arabic we read Anabi abi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. an nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Aqala Inna Allah ta'ala yaghār وَغَيْرَةُ اللَّهِ تَعَالَىٰ أَنْ يَأْتِيَ الْمَرْءُ مَا حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ wa عَلَيْهِ وَالْغَيْرَةُ بِفَتْحِ الْغَيْنِ al unf Okay, so uh, this hadith is very short as you can hear. Abu Huraira this time reported. The Prophet Wasallam has said, Verily Allah the Exalted becomes angry. And his anger is provoked when a person does what Allah has declared unlawful or prohibited. Muttafaqun alayh means that Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim both narrated this particular version of hadith in their respective works, which is the highest degree of authenticity. So we don't need to question uh, the soundness of this tradition, really. Now, regarding the language uh, of this hadith, of course, uh, the term, which, in a way, maybe needs some kind of explanation, but the best of explanation was given straight away in the hadith. If you understood by the by the Prophet is this term "ghira" or "ghira"? Inna in Allah taala ygharo. So, uh, if you read the commentaries of this hadith, like the books which explain the sayings of the Prophet ﷺ, you will see, of course, uh, uh, our scholars always uh, give so much attention to any term which describes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, any of his qualities or attributes because where do we learn about Allah? In the Quran because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of himself, describes himself gives attributes certain things to himself in the Quran and that's how we learn Allah tells us who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and the more we know about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the better for us, okay Uh, you know, we, we will then and only then be able to properly worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those of us, of course, who have sound intellect, yeah, who, who can reason. So this term, ghira or ghayrah, I'm sure you have heard of this term. I like this translation because it wasn't very literal. Uh, any term uh, which talks about a particular action, okay, like creation, creating, Speech, speaking, right, uh, hand, wo- touching, okay, leg, walking, whatever it is. The ulama, they were very careful because we know the norm is in our, ha- in, in our Sharia, ahad, uh, shay. So we know the principle in our aqidah, in our creed is that we cannot liken Allah SWT with anything or anyone. There is nothing like Allah. So there is nothing like Allah ta'ala. We cannot uh, compare anything or anyone with Allah The notion of Tanzeeh actually means not attributing anything which is not befitting Allah The Qur'an mentions it so many times Allah, glory be to him, he is high and far above what they attribute to him. How they describe him. The, the, the idol worshipers in Mecca, right? Or non-believers, you can say. Uh, before that, you know, throughout the history, and especially during the time of the beloved Prophet ﷺ. So, uh, these terms means basically being jealous. In language, you know, like very obvious literal meaning. But here I like the way it has been translated or rendered, given some kind of explanation, because uh, the scholars, when they analysed this hadith, they said, hashalillah it's like uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not jealous of anything, because he's the Malik, Malikul Mulk, the owner of single every single thing. So there is nothing to be jealous of for him. It's not befitting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to speak of him, even in terms of anger or hate, or like لَاللَّهُ أَفْرَهُ أَشَدُّ Farahan, All of these things we just narrate it to ourselves and translate it in whatever we can best understand that will, that will still, insha'Allah ta'ala, speak of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, in the highest possible terms but it's basically us and our human language which has the limitations. It's not Allah Taala. He's not limited in, every, in any sense, in any, in, any, in any way whatsoever. So I like this tradition here, the translation, because what it really means here is like, I wouldn't even necessarily translate it as anger. I would say displeased is maybe better, because uh, Allah Taala is not like happy or angry. Happy if we repent and seek forgiveness. Angry if we commit a sin. Not necessarily like that because we'll never be able to understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his actions, in his own sayings and doings. But what I think here it could mean uh, closest to what we can apprehend in our human language is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wonders. He's surprised at the servant of his who knows the limit, the line. Had, and yet he goes over it, crosses it That's what it means Okay, so the Prophet ﷺ, he explained it here He immediately said, وغيرت الله, To me is like, oh, jealousy that you and I know and can feel towards other people When we see things, and Sheikh Man again explained from Ihya about envy Like the first part of it, or one part of it, uh, being jealous so he said immediately, like, oh, Ghayratullah is something completely different. Whatever you think of jealousy, and whatever you think in this term here, Allahu Yagar, it's not like it. <laughs> That's the best explanation. It's not like any of what you think. Allah doesn't have that kind of jealousy that you and I can apprehend and, and explain. It's different. But what it means here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us humans, irhamukumullah. The free choice of will And he's looking at us, watching over us That's why the hadith is in this particular chapter And he wants to see which course of action we're going to undertake Take, And when we opt for the haram, prohibited action Then Allah Taala is not pleased with that choice of ours As if it angers him that kind of jealousy, if you can understand. But again, like I said, it's good not to speak of jealousy because it's one of those terms we don't want to attribute to Allah subhanahu ta'ala, really. So Allah is displeased with a servant of His, a slave of His, who will commit a haram, commit a sin. That's what this hadith really means. And yet, this is how Allah subhanahu ta'ala reacts. Allah is provoked when a person does what Allah declared unlawful. And this is to me a really good uh, translation or explanation. Uh, I can't really see, I mean, there was one more benefit which uh, ulama have put down in Nuzhatul Muttaqin, which is one of the best commentaries of this book. Uh, but I will just maybe summarize this hadith, uh, the second one, like as the main point, yeah? The main benefit that we learn from it. I wouldn't say like us trying to understand Allah and how Allah uh, is provoked or not provoked and uh, what it entails to His own pleasure and what it doesn't. We will not be able to understand that ever fully. But what we can understand is, and this hadith should have taught us that lesson run away, flee, run your fastest you can from whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited. That's what I would have learned from this hadith. Because the term Yagaru is <laughs> a little bit scaring me. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So if I know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show some he will be provoked and show some kind of displeasure, anger, I'm gonna run away my fastest from any kind of thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't want me to do. Yeah, I'll run away from any sin. Any place where sins are committed, that's not a place for me. Sorry. I might earn a million pounds there, but I'm going to run away from that business because Allah is provoked by me taking that money from that particular corporation. So that is the main point. I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us once again, as I said, to consider every uh, wrong that we uh, committed as something serious, something that we need to work on and not to repeat again. And I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to to give us uh, the right understanding of uh, our sacred tradition uh, so that we are able to properly follow the footsteps of our true master, the Prophet ﷺ, like the Sahaba were. But in this context, I also pray to Allah Taala that He enables us, give, yeah, makes us love the Sahaba, all of them, because it was through them that we have this rich tradition, so much to learn and so, uh, so much that we can benefit from these uh, beautiful sayings that they narrated to us. And also we pray to Allah Taala. Uh, that we stay away from anything which is haram uh, unlawful prohibited just in case that we may provoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then regret uh, doing uh, something like that on the day when we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in uh, on the other hand we would like to do things which are uh, good uh, righteous deeds so that when we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he's pleased with us and therefore we will be pleased وعدا ولود بيد الله سبحانه وتعالى اقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله العظيم لي ولكم فاستغفروه انه هو الغفور الرحيم سبحانك اللهم نستغفرك ونتوب اليك ونصلي ونسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا